Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What does the future hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome in, Nothing Impossible, KMOX, Michael, and... And Travis. You know, on the show, we take a realistic look at uh, the impact that advances and innovation are having. And one of those uh, areas that's really had a big impact is telemedicine in the past year. A lot of people say, wow, the convenience is great. But what are the unintended consequences, perhaps, on the uh, the hospital and healthcare infrastructure? And what, yeah, what what kind of changes do people need to make within their job uh, in order to incorporate telemedicine? And actually, speaking of jobs, uh, this is, seems to be the culmination of the uh, 2030 jobs plan that we've covered several times on on Nothing Impossible. And we're going to have Jason Hall and the folks from Greater St. Louis Inc. in to talk about what's the going forward with the 2030 jobs plan in St. Louis. Yeah, we're going to talk with Jason and Val Patton and Bruce Katz. They're going to talk about that jobs plan, the goal, increasing the number of quality jobs, a real focus on the core of St. Louis, expanding black and brown entrepreneurship. And really, there's another aspect of it that's intriguing, the uh, buy and hire and invest locally push. Well, I, I always like this idea of buying and spending locally, because if you think about it, you're not asking people to find new money. You're just saying, spend your money with greater purpose. Uh, and so that should be a way to catalyze a lot of growth in the region. And then if you're looking for greater purpose in your job, maybe you need a more inspirational vista in front of your desk. How about Ballpark Village and the Concrete Canyon concrete and steel canyon of downtown and brick of downtown st louis <laughs> our own brian kelly from the kmox newsroom took a stroll down the street to spark the new space that's uh, for co-working inside of uh, ballpark village which has some pretty great views i wonder if it comes i mean if that, that's a great place to get some work done especially if there's an afternoon game at bush stadium right you do a little work in the morning stroll over to the ballpark it sounds like a great plan. I was going to say, don't get, don't let yourself get too distracted, though. There is a fine line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a lot to cover on this show. What, Michael, why don't we jump right in? It will take a quick break with more Nothing Impossible right after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. We have discussed telehealth, Travis, extensively uh, because it's become a part of people's lives over the past year. Well, uh, people aren't traveling anywhere, so they but they still have to get their health care needs met. Telehealth and telemedicine are there for them. 
But what are the maybe unintended consequences on other parts of the healthcare system from introducing a new technology and a new workflow like this? There's a new research study from the University of Missouri-Columbia talking about telehealth and its impact on the tasks that nurses have to complete. And joining us is PhD student Chelsea Howland. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, Chelsea, tell us a little bit about your research and introduce us to what you found about the the impacts of telehealth. Yeah, so a little bit about my research and my background. This study was conducted looking at um, an in-home monitoring type of telehealth. Um, Essentially, patients or participants were asked to monitor their blood glucose and their blood sugar and transmit that to nurses at a primary care clinic setting. So um, a lot of the information available right now in the literature is about patient outcomes. Um, So we know that patients have great outcomes with telehealth. We know that it's very beneficial. We know that it provides access to a valuable resource. Something that hasn't been looked at a lot, though, is kind of, I like to call it the behind the scenes. So what are the nurses doing when we bring in um, different types of telehealth services like in-home monitoring? So the study that I did looked at the nursing activities. So what are nurses doing, essentially? And what I found was that nurses were spending more time um, with these patients, providing things like diabetes and health education. Um, More medication adjustments were being made. More communication with primary care providers were made. And there was more follow-up with the patients. Um, So there was a little bit more of a workload on the side of the nurses. So those are the overall findings of that study. Now, uh, Chelsea, I'm... As information is coming in from the patients, you know, digitally, and, and the nurses are looking at it along with the uh, the physicians, are they? Is this a step toward, uh, you know, in layman's term, precision medicine, where you're able to, you know, you don't have these long gaps in between visits. There's there's adjustments that could be made intermittently. Yes, absolutely. Um, that is one of the wonderful benefits of this type of in-home monitoring is that it can provide something that we call between-visit monitoring. Um, so a lot of patients with different types of chronic diseases, they may follow up routinely like every three months with their primary care provider, or maybe every six months. What this allows us to do is to essentially receive more information and to provide more you know, tailored um, treatment for these patients to provide more tailored changes in their treatment plan. It allows them to be more involved in their goal setting, which is very important to have a collaborative relationship with our patients. And what does this mean for the workload uh, related to the nurses? You said that they are, is, is it an extra burden for them? Uh, you know, what does this mean on their day-to-day? Yeah, so what this meant for nurses in the study is they were spending some amount of time. Something the study didn't do was quantify the amount of time. Um, so I know that they were doing more activities overall, which that's really what we want to happen with this type of system. Um, but I don't know for sure the exact amount of time. And that's something that we need to explore further and something that I hope, I hope this type of study can help kind of spur is to take a closer look at what amount of time nurses are spending and really what number of patients it's appropriate for the nurse to care for. And so that's something very important in terms of workload is ensuring that really our patient load matches our workload. You know, this reminds me of something where, uh, first of all, the stakes are a lot lower when we're talking about 
uh, Chipotle and mobile orders and Starbucks and mobile <laughs> orders. However, there have also been stories about how since they've introduced these digital options, uh, the workload has increased at those establishments as well. They've had to open ghost kitchens. They've had to mm-hmm. hire whole new employees, create whole new workflows um, because I guess they didn't expect so many people to say, I wouldn't have ordered before, but because you have the app, I will. And so I'm wondering, in in terms of healthcare, is this a similar situation? Might there be different workflows introduced for this versus in person, or will there need to be more staff, or could there potentially be technology um, and, and AI kind of approaches that might might uh, take some of the workload off the human beings? Yeah, that's a really excellent comparison. Um, so there, there is, there's implications for all of these things realistically um, in terms of upgrades or updates in technology in which data is transferred a little bit more seamlessly from these types of in-home monitoring systems directly into the electronic health record. Um, there's implications in terms of um, kind of like I said, with once we have a better understanding of and we have evidence essentially to support that the nurses are doing more things and we can understand time management, that can help support essentially having more staff to manage these types of things. And, and it, it does, in fact, impact workflow um, just because just like everything else as nurses, we do have a typical, a somewhat typical workflow. There's an order in which we do things every day um, or an order in which we do things for each patient. So understanding how this plays into the workflow and um, essentially if it makes any changes, how large those changes are, and what a very efficient workflow could be are things that are important for us to understand in the future. What about the digital divide as it relates to the skills of nurses? Uh, I mean, I'm sure many of them didn't go to school or have classes that uh, involve data interpretation uh is this still am i am i making too big of a deal out of this or uh or is this really opening up a new skill set for for the medical profession no that's actually something that ties into the concept of workload so a lot of times when we think about workload we think about direct patient care activities we think about me going into the room taking a patient's blood pressure doing whatever nursing skills i do etc but the other another component of workflow is things like edu- education. It's things like obtaining skills and training. Um, so just like with any new technology, any new um, service that's being integrated, we always need to receive new education, ongoing education, training in the technology. In terms of the data analysis, um, to kind of simplify it, it's something we do a lot already as nurses. Um, we I call it data, but in a hospital setting, we might say we're looking at a chart and looking at a patient's um, vital signs or lab values. Um, So that's something we are already trained to do is to look at trends and patients, vital signs and lab values. So that's not so much of a new skill. It's just using it in a different way. And Travis mentioned this, uh, the access to health care and to to other amenities for people who are in rural and isolated areas and telehealth, provided they have that access to the broadband, uh, has really helped to reduce that. In fact, Chelsea, uh, your personal story connects to that and helped to lead you to this study. Yeah, so my area of research in my personal life is actually in rural populations. Um, So personally, I was born and raised in a rural community. My parents were as well. Uh, My dad has had type 2 diabetes for most of my life since I was a teenager. Um, So I've really had a lived experience of seeing some of the barriers and what it's like for someone who lives rurally to manage a chronic disease. And it included some things like having access to specialized healthcare providers, 
Patients with diabetes oftentimes see an endocrinologist. That's a doctor who specializes in diabetes and other endocrine problems. And one of the closest endocrinologists for us is an hour away. Um, so that, that's, that can be a major barrier for patients who don't have reliable transportation. Uh, maybe like, for example, my dad works shift work. Um, so sometimes he would work midnight. Sometimes he would work days and midnight. So it just creates a barrier in terms of having access to these resources. Well, a University of Missouri study shows that telehealth doubles the tasks that nurses have to complete to assist patients with chronic diseases. And Chelsea Howland, a doctoral student at the University of Missouri Sinclair School of Nursing, here to explain it to us. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Thank you. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. We've talked a lot about it, but now the final version is here. The STL 2030 jobs plan. What does it mean for our region? Let's get the scoop with Greater St. Louis Inc. CEO Jason Hall, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer Valerie Patton, and the author of the plan, Bruce Katz, of Consultant New Localism Associates. Why is it so important for St. Louis and the region to really focus on achieving sustainable and equitable economic success? I'll start. Uh, thank you again, Valerie. Uh, and we have a very fragmented, segregated region uh, historically. Here is our opportunity to create access, equity, and inclusion for those populations that have generally been disinvested in, uh, under-resourced in our region. So this is a way to unify a region and move it forward for growth in the business sector. Uh, So that's quality jobs that will increase the quality of life for those residents that have generally been disinvested in, uh, in our region. And in the plan, it says uh, in the St. Louis Metro, inclusive growth involves two core priorities. What are those? Our our definition, this is Bruce, our definition was created in concert with many community stakeholders, including Michelle Tucker at United Way, uh, Dara Estridge at Invest STL. We have really two major components of the definition of inclusive growth. One is to grow quality jobs. That responds to the fact that the St. Louis Metro was stagnating in the early part of the last decade after the Great Recession and was not keeping pace with its peers or the country as a whole through the entire decade. So growth in quality jobs is the first component. The second component, building on what Val just said, is reducing spatial and racial disparities on income and wealth which are quite dramatic, not just in St. Louis, but in metros across the country. So this is a dual track definition of inclusive growth, which very much aligns with the challenges and opportunities that this metropolitan area has. There's a section in there that says uh, some truth telling. Have we tended, do you think, in the St. Louis area to paint maybe too rosy a picture or gloss over some areas for improvement? And is this an effort to move past that? It's Bruce again. I, I, I think St. Louis because of forward through Ferguson and other plans and reports over the past decade in particular, is is coming to grips with um, both uh, the underperformance of its economy, even though it is rich in assets, I mean, compared to many other metropolitan areas, and coming to grips with 
long-standing uh, racial divisions within the metropolitan area. But you know, many jobs plans generally start with assets, um, very rarely talk about challenges. And so you know, we felt that this was a, you know, given the past year, doing a jobs plan in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of racial reckoning in this country, we thought it was very important to start with, with an objective assessment of, of where the metropolitan area stands. And I think that's been appreciated. We've heard that again and again through our public meetings and our private meetings. We really appreciate the fact that you've started this jobs plan acknowledging where we have been. Yeah, and Michael, this is Jason Hall, CEO of Greater St. Louis Inc. Thanks for having us. And I, I think that's what Bruce laid out is critical. I mean, we have got to be authentic and it's both constructive uh, as well as positive. You know, there's a lot of truth telling in here about the industry clusters where St. Louis is a global leader and we need to act like it and we need to embrace it so we can grow the pie. But we also have to be honest with ourselves that not, uh, you know, what is now a global issue, you know, is, is, one of the world's leading management consultancies. McKinsey said, inclusive, uh, an inclusive economy is the defining issue of our time. And St. Louis, I think having truth-telling in that says, look, because of this, we have an opportunity to lead. In some ways we're, we're, we're further along than other communities that are just coming to this reckoning. And um, I think that puts us in a strong position of strength. I think it can be uncomfortable for some to lay out vulnerabilities, but, that's who we are. And if we're not talking and we're not being honest with ourselves, I, I don't know any other way we can actually move forward together. And this is Valerie. One additional point is it gives us a great opportunity to build trust uh, and to move because we have been um, trust averse. Um, so it gives us the opportunity to move forward by uh, producing results. And those things have to be done but I think it's a chance for us to better work together on uh, common goals uh, with common metrics uh, and doing it as a group opposed to doing it in a silo. And that reminds me of uh, another quote. Over the past decade, St. Louis's private sector economic growth efforts splintered and initiatives were often suboptimal. Uh, so how do you get people to buy into this? They've got to believe in it and want to do it and want to work with each other. How do you get people across the St. Louis area to buy into that and to work together on this? Uh, Valerie, again, at one step at a time, uh, I think you pick two or three things that you can do together. Initially, have the success of those two th or three things, and then you begin to build. So communication transparency, uh, inclusion, and inclusion from the point of view, uh, we are a 15-county region, so we need to have as many regions represented at the table, black and brown folks at the table, different uh, genders. You just need to have a variety of people from different industries, from different organizations, both governmental and nonprofit. And then you'll make some mistakes along the way. Uh, that is all part of the process. But I think you really, as you begin to have success, will build those pieces. And Michael, I would add, you know, one of the things we've already seen in the first few months is having a voice in this metro coming together as a metro saying, we are going to be a growth community again. That simple principle was getting lost <laughs> 
across different groups that were talking maybe at a 30,000 foot level about uh, job creation, workforce development, but but finding it difficult to find what is the long-term set of strategies that we're actually trying to execute against, not just programs, but actual strategies that move the needle uh, over the next decade. And when you think about where we were 12 months ago, asking questions like who's on first, to be to a point of the thousands of people coming together to help shape future direction of this metro and commit to being a growing and more inclusive metro, that is extraordinary. There was a lot of work to do. And I'll tell you in the calls I outreach to with, with principal elected officials from the metro and others, some of those basic channels of communication had atrophied around economic development, where we can't move forward regionally and inclusively without those strong lines of communication and knowing who to coordinate with and collaborate with and try to create some center of gravity uh, around making this a growth metro again. And Michael, it's Bruce. I would just say that the good news here, the St. Louis metro has enormous assets to be deployed. Um, you are underperforming but unlike a lot of other U.S. metros, you were not underperforming because you didn't have assets. You were underperforming because you were so fragmented. So advanced research, advanced industries, a startup scene, a workforce development system that has some real capacity um, and an enormous amount of commitment to place. I think you can really turn the page relatively quickly um, because you, you do have a very robust platform to build on. Uh, workforce development and uh, the term quality jobs is in here. And, uh, you know, we've heard from East-West Gateway and others over the last several years about the, uh, especially some of the suburbs, the focus on retail and strip mall kind of jobs. So what are quality jobs? How do you build those? And how do you shift the, the focus to those? Quality jobs is defined um, as, as jobs that pay more than 80% of, of median income. So it, it's basically a wage function. Uh, that is driven by skills uh, and the acquiring of skills and by companies uh, basically continuing to, commit, to compete domestically and globally uh, by upgrading the skills of their workers. So... Those tend to be certain sectors in the economy. You have many of them. What, what's been missing before is a close collaboration between business, higher education, community colleges. There were some bespoke relationships between, you know, let's say the community college and, and Boeing or Rankin Tech and Emerson. But putting that together as a full system where corporations Businesses are working closely with community colleges, skills providers, your four-year universities. That's where the magic happens. And that's where you can begin to really expand uh, the, the growth of quality jobs. I think you've got enormous potential to do that. In terms of the feedback that you've gotten and changes that have been made to this over the different iterations and drafts, what are, what are some examples of what the public has said? Um, you know, people may have remembered what the St. Charles County executive said, uh, concerns about being core centric. Why is that the case? Why is that important? And what are some other bits of feedback that you've gotten and changes you've made? It's Bruce again. I, I think that the, the number one comment 
um, from multiple constituencies and jurisdictions or let us see ourselves in this plan. So when you look at this overview, you'll see new mapping devices would show assets that exist across all the counties in the metro, um, where your universities and higher ed institutions are located, a better articulation of why all parts of the metro will benefit from this. Um, we also were more clear about why having a robust core, the city of St. Louis in particular, matters so much. In the United States, you, you can't be a prosperous metro unless the core is strong. That's been proven again and again and again with many of your peers. So we've, I think what we've done is responded to many comments, but across many jurisdictions and constituencies, there really was this um, common thread. Show us how we fit in this plan, and that's what we try to do. What is the STL Capacity to Act initiative? I think, uh, happy to jump into that, Michael. So this is Jason. Um, the capacity to act really gets to the fact that we have to organize, as many communities do, to shape our economy, right? And we can go back 20 years ago for examples that we, we live today, the success of biotech, a thriving startup community, the success of Cortex, one of the great innovation districts on the globe. That all required organizing people and capital to get things done that will not happen overnight um, and that take that long-term vision. The capacity to act recognizes that to really impact the direction of our economy, that, that is a core asset class. Somebody needs to go out and say, hey, we need to form a venture capital fund around X and catalyze some of that happening. Or we need to find the public sector funds that can build the Brickline Greenway in this time of, of large federal investment around infrastructure. Or we need to get uh, more philanthropy to help build intermediaries like a Greater St. Louis, a BioSTL, an InvestSTL. That those are a critical part of the ecosystem of how you grow and shape the future. And, you know, with as a community that doesn't have, like Indianapolis, a Lilly Endowment, or in Pittsburgh, a Heinz Endowment, these large legacy philanthropies that do nothing but invest in the local community to shape their economy, we need to organize uh, as channels of capital, if you will, to fill that function. And we can educate uh, on what those highest and best needs are um, through through our platform. How easy would you say it is uh, if you're in the St. Louis Metro, you want to start a business, how easy is it? Uh, this is Valerie. I think easy is relative. Uh, it is one of those words that I don't know that would be synonymous with business. And it is what type of business are you? Are you a black and brown business? Are you a majority business? So for a black and brown business, uh, capital um, is going to be a major issue in beginning the business. I think we all at heart are entrepreneurs and we all can start a business, but the bigger piece is how do we scale that business, grow that business, advance that business where they can grow revenue and increase their number of employees, which will affect the growth of the regional GDP. So for me, when you say 
you know, starting a business. Um, and, and most entrepreneurs will tell you uh, the business that they're in today is not the business they started with. So they may have started two, three, four, five businesses before there was one that took. So that is um, relative for me. But, you know, I invite my colleagues to say other things about that. Yeah, but I, I would, really think it is. It all depends on what type of business it is, what industry it's in, um, and, and has so many different factors and facets to it. Yeah, Michael, this is Jason. Jump in. I mean, St. Louis and Entrepreneur Magazine just, just highlighted this in December. I mean, it is the number one hub in the Midwest for startups and entrepreneurship. And that is the direct outcome of 20 years of civic effort, particularly around biotech and the technology-enabled sectors. But like we see in St. Louis and other facets of the economy and in this country, access to opportunity is unevenly distributed, which is why this plan calls for a more inclusive approach. We've, we've, we've seen this. I mean, St. Louis is home to the largest African-American business owned, uh, owned business in the country. Worldwide technology started with five people and it's over $12 billion of revenue today. You think of a young Jack Taylor starting Enterprise Holdings with a few cars and it's now one of the global um, uh, giants of industry. Um, we, we are doing it and we have made it easier, but we now need to do two things. One, we need to expand that definition of entrepreneurship and the supports that go beyond just technology. So that's why you see a Main Street initiative here and recognizing that entrepreneurship is a broader identity of those that start businesses. And secondly, acting with intention to close the gap and opportunity so, so that all can do it. There are bright spots. You know, over the last couple of years, St. Louis, the number one place in the country for women-founded startups. We can do this. And this plan calls for us to double down on those kinds of commitments. Well, before I have to go, uh, one last question. Uh, you know, St. Louisans don't want to see dust gather on a shelf. So just talk about how you prevent that from happening with this. Well, I think, you know, the, 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 the past is prologue here. I mean, organizing around an intermediary, Greater St. Louis Inc. that gets the business community um, strongly engaged uh, in the work of the economy and then collaborating with a broader set of stakeholders. Um, Michael, we've already seen, you know, it's not even 12 months old. What we've been doing as a community around geospatial, look at the wins we're already putting up on the boards, the millions of dollars we're attracting to this community. In October, we're going to play host for the first time to the largest global forum of the geospatial industry, which is bringing tourism jobs and gives us an opportunity to put our city in the map in front of decision makers about the next generation of geospatial jobs. So, we're doing it. We're moving forward. This plan calls for some new things. It calls for doubling down and creating that strong focus and quality execution on some of the things we're already doing. And it reaffirmed those commitments. All right. So that's the job plan. Stay tuned. We'll take you to Ballpark Village next with more Nothing Impossible right after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back, and let's take you to Ballpark Village now. Some beautiful views, but also some cool amenities at the new Spark co-working space inside Ballpark Village. Brian Kelly of the KMOX Newsroom went there, and here is his excursion. 
Tell us a little bit about this workspace. That, uh, it's massive, and there's a lot of space here for people to, to move in and go right to work. Tell me about it. Absolutely. So Spark St. Louis, we're the marriage of hospitality and entrepreneurship. We're a collaborative co-working space supporting small business owners, entrepreneurs, startups, uh, with space in place for their teams to grow and thrive. Uh, we're not just a space, we're a destination where folks can feel comfortable growing their businesses, they can make connections. Our team here on site is great. They can really facilitate relationships and networking opportunities for small business owners in St. Louis. For people who aren't sure what a co-working type of space like this is all about, what is it all about? So uh, collaborative co-working is making sure that you're working smarter, not harder. You know, we have monthly memberships. An individual who's just starting out can really hyper-focus, not spend a lot of money on space, but they can really have like month-to-month memberships, annual memberships, that are really giving them amenities, workspace, access, um, and access to partnerships that can really help grow their business. So they're really being smart about where they're spending their money, especially in this day and age, you wanna make sure you're putting funds in the right place. So you're getting access to space, amenities, partnerships, and um, being able to grow your business in that capacity. And you have dozens and dozens of workspaces here for anybody from a single person to a pretty sizable company. Absolutely. So we have, like I call our solopreneurs, our single entrepreneur that is just growing and starting their workspace, excuse me, their business, to teams who are part of corporate entities and divisions. So that's the beauty of our community. We're diverse. Um, We're not just serving one type of individual. We have from the corporate space to the entrepreneur to students who have ventures that they're just kind of launching on their own. Lots of different avenues and it creates a really vibrant, diverse community of like-minded individuals on the creative space, the innovative space, and the technology community as well. So you have 81 offices, five suites, and everything around them that you need to work late or to have lunch to get that extra cup of coffee. Tell me about those other amenities. So we are open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Those are our business hours, but members have 24-7 access. Entrepreneurship is not a nine to five. So you may need to pop in at 2 a.m. to get some work done. We're here and have that space. Our amenities are top-notch, world-class from our concierge mail service. You can have your business address, all your mail delivered here from our wellness rooms, our mother's rooms that's on site, indoor bike rack. We have a podcasting studio that members can utilize um, for their podcasting needs. Um, And then from our uh, really cool amenities from the beer and wine that's on site to nitro cold brew coffee and tea that's available as well. And a meditation room. Tell me about that. We all need to meditate more. So um, with those things are really stressful. You just need a moment of zen, of quiet. So we made sure that we designed that space for the intent of having a moment of quiet, clarity. There's greens, the green wall that's going to be in that space bookcases. We're going to be getting lots of different books on various topics that are going to be appeased to our members. Members who are authors themselves can contribute to that wall to share their their um, works of art there. And just a space where people can step away from their desk, step away from the stress of the day, and have a moment of clarity. Who is going to be eligible to come in here and take up? What does it take to, to get a spot in Spark? So we have actually lots of different options um, from membership month-to-month memberships from singles, triples to suites. We also have dedicated desks. We are industry agnostic. We serve 18 different industries of all different types of individuals, entrepreneurs, companies. 
Um, so we're not just pigeonholed into one particular avenue. So we love having a diverse, vibrant community of different um, innovators, students, um, creators in the space. We also have day passes. So if you're not a member of Spark, you can still come in for the day. It's $15. You pop in, have your Wi-Fi, coffee, access to really cool common area space and secure internet, which is very, very important as well. And everything is ready for an uh, entrepreneur to come in, sit down, and go right to work. We provide you a turnkey space. The space is fully furnished. If you have an office or a suite, you have your own desk, chair, locked desk storage. We brand your office for you, so your name, your logo, whatever you want at your desk or at your office is branded for you. You can come in on day one. You sign the paperwork. You're, you can go right to your desk and start working. Wi-Fi is included. We have high-speed internet that's available on site. Um, and we want to make sure that all of our members, when they come in on day one, they can just get right to work. When are you hoping to open the Spark uh, we space? Are gonna, members are going to be moving in in early June. Um, so very, very soon, we're going to get them all settled and getting ready for the remainder of 2021 to be a very great year for St. Louis. All right. So we covered a lot. It was a good show. We love doing this, don't we, Michael? We should do it again next week. What do you say? Well, next week, there's Cardinals baseball. But how about the oh. week after? We could do it the week after. If you need some St. Louis innovation fix next week, check out the podcast on the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.